Get your Bibles, your notepads, your pens out, whatever it is you use, your cell phones, your iPads, your Kindles, whatever it is you got, I need you to get it ready because we're going to get in the Word this morning together. This is part four, the last part of our series called The Big O. We've been dealing with the word called oppression, which is something that the majority of people carry and walk with every day of their lives. Can I get an amen from somebody? Now, listen, I understand the crowd is a little sparse this morning, but you're going to have to talk back to me this morning. Amen. So help me out. Help me preach a little better. We've been dealing with the spirit of oppression. And over the last three weeks, we have uncovered that most of us carry this thing. This isn't just a spirit. This is a thing that you and I call life. Amen. Y'all ever said that statement? Well, that's just life. And we usually only say that when we're troubled by something. We usually only say that when we're going through something. And I, God began to deal with me four weeks ago about the word oppression and helped me to see that even as your pastor, I have a spirit of oppression. Pastor, no, you're supposed to be holy and you're supposed to be the pastor and you're not supposed to. Listen, I'm human. I got flaws and problems just like you. And God has to deal with me sometimes. There are things in this life that I allow to weigh me down instead of being free in God. I am bound up by life. I am bound up by people. I'm bound up by circumstances. I'm even bound up by my own thoughts. Can I get an amen from even the most spiritual person in the room? Okay, we've all got things that we carry. Here's the truth of it. Only reason that we, are come, we come under oppression is because we choose to carry things that we were never meant to carry. Okay, it's like this. If I'm sick in body and I run around telling everybody I'm sick in body, you ever wonder why you can't get better? Because you're living under the oppression of being sick rather than believing that God can heal you. See, when you start walking with God and living with God, you start understanding that what the world says is not what he says. Have you ever compared the world's thought to the word's thought? Have you ever noticed that they don't go together? What the world declares over you and what the word declares over you is two completely different places because in the world you're bound to sin, but in the word you're bound to life. You're promised eternity here. You're only promised death on this side. And so for so many people, we carry things. Listen, oppression brings anxiety. Oppression brings fear. Oppression brings doubt. Oppression brings worry. Oppression brings sickness. Anybody ever thought about something so much you became sick just thinking about it? Yeah. See what I'm saying? You're carrying things that God never asked you to carry. There is only one statement in the Bible that God says for you to carry anything, and that is for you to daily carry your cross. How can you carry your cross and carry your pain at the same time? And the only reason that we, we are afraid to carry the cross is because we think the cross brings us pain when really the cross just brings us promises. The, the cross brings us a newness of life. The, word, the definition of the word oppress, oppression is to lie heavily upon, to weigh down, to put down, subdue or suppress, to press upon or against, to crush. Anybody ever felt any of those things? Yes. There are times I wake up in the morning and feel those things. There are times I wake up and deal with certain things. I feel that stuff. There are situations I have to deal with that I feel that stuff. I carry my children. I carry my spouse. Yes, I do. When my wife's not feeling well, I make it my responsibility. Oh, God, I got to help her get better. When my kids aren't happy, I got to make them happy. God says, stop. Let me be the one who leads, and you just be a good steward of what I've given you. Can I say this to you real quick? I found out that being a great dad was not my job. I'm just going to be a good dad. Let him be the great dad. I found out that being a great husband is not my job. I'm going to be a good and faithful husband. And I'm going to let him be a great husband. And I'm going to let her love him more than she loves me. 
I'm going to let my wife love God more than she loves me. And I'm not going to get upset when she gives him more attention than she gives me. Because I understand the more time she spends with him makes a greater relationship between her and I. So I'm going to rest in the fact that as long as she's pursuing God, this marriage thing is going to work. And she has to do the same thing for me. I'm not oppressed when the marriage hits a bump. I get excited. Because that means we're about to launch into another dimension. We're about to launch into a higher level. Listen, bumps only come to slow you down because you're headed in the right direction. Stop getting mad at the bumps. This is not even in my notes. I don't know where all this is coming from this morning, but I just feel this right now. Stop getting mad at the speed bumps in your life. Stop getting upset. When, oh, I, what is, oh, God, the devil. No, the, 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 the speed bump is a launching ground. Hit the gas pedal and head right at that sucker. You know there are times you thought in yourself and you're like, man, I wonder what would happen if I hit that bump doing 60. <laughs> Woo! But we slow down. Oh, God, we're going to die. We're going to break. No, you're not. God says use the speed bump as a launching pad to go higher. Here's the thing. When you hit that bump just right, all the stuff that you've been carrying will fall off. Most of us just call oppression life. We've, we've been conditioned to assume that life was meant to be terrible, that life was meant to be struggled, that life was meant to be uh, troubled. But the truth be told that life in Christ is free. It's joyous. It's, it's sustaining. It's invigorating. It's encouraging. Yes, it can be challenging, but challenge makes you greater. God never called you to carry this life. He said, just live it. Let me make the way in the process. When we are oppressed, it is because we have stopped allowing God to have complete control. And we've started to take on this life instead of allowing him to lead it. Over the last three weeks, we've been sitting in this chapter in Zephaniah. In, chapter, in Zephaniah chapter 3. And it talks about in chapter 1 where Zephaniah spoke to the, to the people of Judah and told them that they had fallen into sin. They had become idolaters. Well, and it, let me just be honest with you. If there was a prophet to come into the town today, he would say the same thing about us. I know, nobody wants to hear that anymore. No, pastor, no, we're not. No, idolatry is blind reverence to something else other than God. Uh, 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 almost like uh, you're chasing something that's not even God. It's something else in the world. Uh, we chase what other people think. We chase how other people look. We chase what every other family has. We chase everyone else's blessings instead of just being excited about the ones he's given us. We chase everyone else's promises and do not receive the ones he's given us. We get mad because someone else gets blessed before we do. You should celebrate when someone else gets blessed because it gives you room for a greater blessing from God. But this is what we do. It, we, we are a present church, so we are a present people who chase idolatry. Come on, can I get an amen? Don't look at me. No, Pastor, I'm not an idolater. Yes, we are. Social media proves it. Because when we post something and someone doesn't like it, we get all offended how somebody didn't like my stuff. Who cares? Why? Why? You broke that cycle when you were a kid in school and you didn't get picked for kickball. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you went home and you didn't pick me. And then you had to learn how to get. Then we're just doing it all over again as adults. Because we're mad because the world. Stop. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. It matters what your creator thinks about you. Just rest in that because when you're done in this race, he's the only thing that matters. Your friends, your family, your people are not standing inside the gate going, yep, he can come in. Hopefully they're making it in. But you need the approval of God. You need the promise of God. And so when you get to heaven, God goes, yep, you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we should be chasing after. I'm not worried about what you think about me. I'm worried about what he thinks about me. 
So he tells them in chapter one, he says, you need to repent. You need to get your life right. He tells them, listen, there's judgment coming. You need to get it right. And in chapter two, he gives them the opportunity, the option to change their lives. Aren't you glad that God gave you the option to change your life? Aren't you glad you're not serving the God of the Old Testament where he walks and he goes, the smiting God, the you're gone. The bears out of the woods God. You know what I'm talking about? Elijah calling out the bears and devours everybody. Aren't you glad we're not serving the God just goes, oh, you went against me? He goes, oh, you went against me? Come here, let's talk. Aren't you glad that you serve a gracious God? Aren't you glad that his mercies are, grace and his mercies are new every morning, not just one time, but he keeps coming back because he has no desire for you to fail, but has every desire for you to succeed and finish the race he set before you. He doesn't want you to quit. He doesn't want you to quit. He doesn't want to quit on you. He wants you to finish this thing. And so in chapter 2, Zephaniah gives the people of Judah an opportunity to repent. Then we get to chapter 3, and he says this to the people of Judah. He gives them these four points, and this is what God took me to in my moment of prayer when he started to show me there are areas in your life that you want to break oppression, and this is how you're going to do it. This is what he said to the people of Judah. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. And so we started these, with these four statements as a step-by-step -step process to break the spirit of oppression, to begin stripping off the weights and living a full life in Christ. And the first step to breaking oppression was to walk in obedience. This one's a hard one. I have to obey God? Well, you can't walk in the promises without obedience. You can't receive the blessings without obedience. Do you understand? Yes, I know you don't want to hear this. Yes, it has a lot of blessings, but it has a lot of guidelines too. It has a lot of what you don't want to say. It's got rules. But do you understand that rules were created to help you live a long life, not a shortened life? Outside of the structure of the Word of God, you will live a short life. But inside the structure of the Word of God, you will live a full life. The Bible says you shall live in the fullness of life unto the days of old. This is what our desire is. How many of y'all don't want to die early? Amen. Amen. But we die early because of sin. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, separation from God. We should have a desire to be obedient to the Word. How can you ask God to bless you if you're not an obedient believer? Oh, but, but God knows my heart. Yes, he does. And when he sees there's lack of obedience, he is grieved by your lack of obedience. He does not understand. What else must I do to make them, to help them to see that I love them? And if they would just walk in obedience, they would walk in the fullness of everything I have. There's an old song that says God lives in a big, big house. I want to go play in the big, big house. I don't want to be stuck in the outhouse. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 28 says it this way. If you fully obey. What does he say there? If you fully obey, not partially, not emotionally, not when you feel like it. If you fully obey the Lord, your God, and carefully keep all his commandments that I'm giving you today, the Lord, your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all of these blessings. If you obey the Lord, your God, your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed wherever you go. And whatever you do will be blessed out of what obedience so watch this if you're wondering where your blessing is check your obedience level god i've been waiting for your blessing my entire life check your obedience level because god doesn't bless mess he heals your mess and then walks you into right relationship and then you get to walk in the blessings of who he is in your life 
In order to break oppression, we must first walk in obedience to God. Obey his word in our lives. Stop making excuses for disobedience. How many of y'all are parents in the room? Don't you love it when your kids make excuses for lack of obedience? Son, did you clean your room? No, why? Well, Dad, what happened was, you know, Mom came in, and, and she said we had to go. And, and I know you told me to clean the room, but, but, but she said we had to go. Well, when did you leave? We left three hours later. Son, you had three hours to clean your room. Why didn't you go? I, I don't know. Stop making excuses for disobedience. Stop trying to rewrite or reinterpret Scripture. Ah, that's one I'm really holding on to right now. Because it's amazing what the church is doing. The church is rewriting scripture to fit their sin rather than changing their sin to fit scripture. And love God through our obedience. The second step was another tough one, and that's receive correction. How many of you know that correction doesn't mean you failed? Correction means that he still has a plan. Correction means he doesn't want you to fall to the wayside. I love when God corrects me because he's keeping me on track. I love when God tells me, hey, stop doing this, Brian. Don't think this way. Brian, change this out of your life. Because you start to have newness of life. Things begin to change around you. He said, receive correction. Obedience says you've accepted his plan for your life. Correction says you want to stay in his plan for your life. Listen, if you reject correction, you're off track. If you receive correction, you'll stay on track. So many people think that correction is means that you failed in life so we run away from correction it's no different than this if my wife corrects me i feel like i did something wrong how many men in this room like to feel like you did something wrong when it comes to your spouse i didn't think so amen and even if you feel that way you're probably not gonna lift your hand right now you're like eh, no okay we don't like to feel that way we don't want listen culture has deemed to us to be failures work with me for a second because we are better at not accomplishing rather than succeeding. And so the culture has said, this is, it's okay. But when you receive correction, we automatically take it internally and say, we must have done a bad job rather than somebody wants us to do better. The reason we don't don't is because problems that we tend to view correction as failure rather than love. If God corrects us, we have a tendency to believe that we failed rather than he loves us so much he doesn't want us to fail. How many of y'all ever been corrected by God? Okay, I can't live. I don't have enough hands. Amen. I, there's been so much correction in my existence. God's like, don't, don't, don't. And it's never like, hey, Brian. I'm longing for the day that God comes and corrects me like, hey, hey, bub. It's never like that. It's like, hey, hey, that's enough. You stop that. Brian, they're doing this wrong. Look, I've had God correct me on all kinds of stuff. It's not just about my walk with God. He's corrected me on my eating habits. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So that means if I go back to McDonald's, I'm in rebellion. Oh, we don't want to talk about it. Pastor, don't bring up, don't touch my fast food. Well, if I keep touching fast food, I'm going to touch an early grave, so I don't want to do that either. So I got to understand that God, God's word says he desires for me to live a long life. So he goes, Brian, don't, don't do that. You ever been somewhere doing something, eating something, and you had that little voice in the back of your head that said, don't do it. Don't do it. And you're like, but I like it. Not gonna tell me what to do. That Satan, get behind me. I know what God, he said he wants to bless me and give me promises. His promises are a long life, not fat food. Hey, do watch the dessert. Don't touch the dessert. See, don't, don't. Nobody asked you to correct me this morning. I'm just kidding. It comes from the fitness instructor in the room. 
Oh, Jesus. That's why she asked me, you want to go work out? Nope. Because I don't want your correction. Amen. Praise the Lord. God's still working on me. Amen. He's still working on me. Correction is never easy, but the word says in Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his children. That's a hard one to take because nobody wants to be punished, but you're missing the point. He does it because he loves you and he wants you to finish. I remember this old comic. Y'all remember the comic Calvin and Hobbes back in the day? Dad, the comic has the dad walk in the room and he says, son, I'm going to give you a spanking and the next little block, he says, you know, son, I only do this because I love you. And the next block, Calvin's kind of thinking, there's no statement. And then the next block, Calvin says, well, dad, when you're done, can I give back the love? <sighs> Unfortunately, that's the way we treat God. Because when God's done correcting us, we think we have the right to correct him. Which means that we don't view him as a father, we view him as somebody else. We view him as a punisher. That one that we need to inflict pain back on because we don't understand his heart. We just understand the pain of the consequences of our own decisions. Instead of receiving his love, we reject his love. And it says right here, he punishes ones he accepts as his children. And it says this in verse 7, it says, As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Well, culture would tell you today, in today's world, there's a lot of that going on. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate. I won't tell you what the King James Version refers to that word as. And are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable. Can I get an amen from that point right there? I'm so glad that the Bible wrote that. No discipline is enjoyable. You're like, preach Jesus. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So in other words, when we receive correction, it brings a peaceful harvest and right living. So we got to receive correction. The third step was to trust God. The word trust means to rely upon or place confidence in something or something or someone. I have noticed over the years that a lack of trust in people has begun to cause a lack of trust in God. But I need to remind you again on this Sunday after I preached it last week that God is not man. And man is not God. Stop putting them in the same playing field. People are flawed. They make mistakes or even do things intentionally. But our word says in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. People, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Stop thinking that God's going to quit on you. He doesn't quit. Man will. The Bible even says your mother and father might forsake you, but God never will. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In other words, he says a brother can even leave you, but I won't even do that. Did you know that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God? Can you hold on to that for a second? Stop thinking that God is sitting in his judgment seat ready to kill you. No, he's sitting in his judgment seat ready to love you and correct you and to bring you to the finish line. Trust problems come when we have a word problem. We stop trusting God when we don't understand his word. We stop trusting God when we don't read his word. We stop trusting God when we refuse to pray. We stop trusting God when we, re we refuse to receive him. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. How much? How much? Yeah, but God, I got this one little spot right here. You know, it's that damage spot I hold on to. That's that one place, you know, those bad people live. 
and I hold on to them because I'm going I'm to hold them accountable for what they know. He said, love, trust me with what? Even the hurt spaces. Trust me with your whole heart. And lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Okay, we got the first three, right? We got the first three. Fourth one, first step one was obey God. Step two, receive correction. Step three, trust in the Lord, or trust God. Here's number four, you ready? Draw near to God. And this is the amazing thing. Is I saw this as I was looking at this, is that draw near has multiple definitions as to what this statement is. And, and I could just go right there with that moment, but I feel like I have to deal with both spaces because I think it fixes a lot of stuff in our lives. Draw near. What do you mean by draw near? Well, let me give you definitions because I like the definition of words. The word draw means to move after or towards a thing or someone. To move after or towards. To move towards. Near means to or at or within a short distance or interval in space or time. So in other words, to draw near means to move towards or within a short distance or interval of something or someone within a space or time. James chapter 4 verse 8 says this, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Can I tell you how we translate that scripture? God draw near to me and then I'll draw near to you. I've read my word for years. I have never seen God tell me he's coming without asking me to come first. Come unto me, all you that are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Tell the children to come unto me. Why is he saying that? Because in order for you to change, you got to leave where you are. We keep wanting God to come pick us up out of our junk. God says, no, we just get up out your junk. Because if i got to pick you up out of your junk, you'll never get the strength to leave your junk. Because as soon as I put you down, you'll go back to it. Because if all I am is your rescuer, you don't ever learn how to swim. Watch this. If you don't know how to swim and you fall in the deep end and you start to drown and God comes and rescues you, you don't get the idea that maybe I need to learn how to swim. God says, hey, kick your feet. Move your arms. Figure out that I'm with you. I'm not going to let you die, but I'm going to strengthen you in the process so that you grow up. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you don't have a closeness with God, it's probably because you're not close to him. This scripture has two thoughts, and both are depicted in this scripture. Let me give you the first one. Draw near. In this moment of the tribe of the people of Judah, he is referring to a spirit of repentance. Now, this is an unpopular conversation in the church today because, unfortunately, the culture of the church has started to walk away from the spirit of repentance. We have watered down the word, I'm sorry. And the truth of really meaning it. Because repentance is a 180 degree turn, not a 360 loop around. Repentance means I choose to leave the former things and march into a new direction. Not looking back, but marching into the newness of life that God has for me. Here's the problem. We don't do 180s in the church anymore. We do slow drive-bys of the 180 to do a full 360. Because we think in the process of the spin around, we get strengthened enough to go back and do what we used to do that was killing us. We think that because we had a little bit of time with God, that we can be strengthened enough in God so that we can go back and pick up the old things that God saved us from, but, still do, but now do it with a greater spirit because we understand. No, the wages of sin is death. If God saved you for something, he's not trying to get you back to something. 
If he takes you out of an old way, an old behavior, an old thought, an old process, it's not so you can go pick it up later because you're, more, you're stronger in your spirituality. No, he saves you from it so you could be changed and never go back to it. And so when he says in here, you have not drawn near to God, he says, you are not living in a spirit or a lifestyle of repentance. And let me say this to you, repentance is not a once a moment thing, it is a lifestyle. The heart of repentance is a willingness to admit humbly that you are wrong and go to God and say, God, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Change me from the inside out so that I can reflect who you are. When we refuse repentance, it's because we do not have a desire to show God. We have a desire for God to show us. What do you mean by that? Because we want God to make us his trophy rather than us living a life that he can be proud of who we are. Repentance says, God, I give you who I am, not God, give me who you are. It says, God, come into this life and change me. It breaks the separation between you and God. It says, here's what repentance says, I choose to stop sinning. I think it's quiet. Man, nobody wants to talk about this. Don't talk about, pastor, tell me about the blessed life. Blessings don't come without repentance. Somebody says, well, I don't think you have to repent to receive God's love. You don't, because God's love is eternal. It changes not. It is always in the fabric and the foundation of who we are as people. He loved us before we were even born. That's what the word says. But let me help you with something. There is a greater love of the Father when we come to him in a repentant heart saying, God, please wash away the old me and allow me to be made a new creature in you. God, I'm tired of living in my sin and I'm ready to live in your promises. I commit my ways to you, oh God. But this is not popular teaching anymore. So when I'm looking at the story of the people of Judah under this spirit called oppression, I am realizing that the church is oppressed because we will not draw near to God because we won't even repent. We won't even repent. We won't even repent. We just go, God understands. This is the new terminology of repentance in the church. He knows my heart. You think I'm kidding you? You know how many times people have said that to me? God knows my heart. You're right, he does. And unfortunately for some people, he's grieved by it. Because he sees the condition and an unwillingness to be changed by the creator. So we come to God and we give excuses for bad behavior and call it repentance. God goes, no, it's not. That's not an I'm sorry. You didn't come to me with a heartfelt, attentive attitude. You came to me with excuses. You came to me with your plans instead of operating in my plans. Look, a repentant heart says, God, I choose you over me. A lack of repentance says, God, I choose me over you. I don't know if you realize this, but the last time I checked, you didn't save yourself. It's staying close to him. Listen, repentance causes you to cling to him. A lack of repentance says you're unwilling to stay near with him. A lack of, listen, I repent all the time. My God, pastor, you're in sin all the time. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I make mistakes. I do things that I know God's probably not going. That's my boy sometimes. And I go, hey, God, look, I was wrong in this one. First of all, I need you to forgive me. Touch this guy. Touch my heart. And then give me the ideas or the thought processes how to fix what I broke. 
God, help me to go in and say this. Listen, I've learned. Let me tell you something. This is what repentance does for me. Ready? It helps me to see that being right is not that fun. I don't need to be right. Can I just be honest with you? I'm good at being wrong. But that's humility. And this humility is a sign of a repentant heart. If you lack humility in your daily existence, it's because you do not go to the Father in repentance. You go to, the, you go to God with all the plans. You go to God saying, hey, God, I know. How, I, I know. I know. I, I, I look. You're going to say it, but I already knew it. How many times have we approached God with the answer rather than letting him be the creator and give us the answer? Hey, God, it's so good to talk to you. Listen, I need to talk to you about this. My, 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 my family, we're struggling. Yeah, I know what I got to do. I already knew when I came to you. I just wanted to at least communicate what my plans were so that you knew ahead of time so you could bless my plans. Oh, go ahead. Just smile and nod because this is what we do to God. Hey, God, bless my plans. God says, I don't bless your plans. He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. How many of you want to be prospered? And don't look at your pocket. Prosperity is not a pocket condition. Prosperity is a heart condition because I prosper in the things of God, not in the width of my wallet. I prosper when God blesses me. I prosper when my children love on me. I prosper when I walk in the door and my kids go, Dad's home. Why? Because I, that, that's prosperity to me. I didn't have that growing up. I didn't give that growing up. What are you talking about? Because we didn't have a family like that. But now I've got a family today that, that when I come home, the kids come running. My wife receives me. Amen. She's not like, um, dad's home. She's like, you're home. And if I don't give her a kiss, she's like, you didn't kiss me when you walked in the door. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My bad. I'm sorry. I got lost in the chaos of four children. Listen, there's got to come a point in this thing where we desire to be close to God, not visit him on Sundays. <sighs> Can we make the church a place of freedom rather than a jail cell? Watch what I mean by that. The church in its form has become a jail cell with visiting hours from 10 to 12. And our hopes are that God will come and visit us and talk to us. And then after 12 o'clock, see you next week, God. I'll be here. Can we change that? Can we shift that to a place that this church is no longer a jail cell with visitation hours, but the church has now become a place where we walk in with God and we walk out with a greater understanding of God. We walk out with greater promises in God. We walk out with fresh revelation, fresh rhema, and we walk out ready to conquer the world ahead of us so that when we come back the next Sunday, we can talk about how good God is, not how much of the valleys we walk through all week long. To abandon the jail cell mentality of church with visiting hours. Stop attending church. Get God. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 says this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Somebody say, somebody's watching. Yeah. I know that song, I always feel like somebody's. Okay, so I want to see if you're on the same page. Uh-huh, I know y'all not, okay. It says, so such a, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Stop right there. Watch this, watch this, watch, 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 watch. I've read this wrong for 19 years. Watch. That was correction. 
I'm going to give you what the correction was. He said, let us lay aside every weight, oppression, and the sin. We took and said this scripture and said that every weight is sin. Uh -uh. He said, put down oppression and put down the sin, which so easily ensnares you, traps you, keeps you from moving forward. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Watch this. If I got David... And I told David, get on Dylan's shoulders and said, Dylan, run around the city. How far do you think Dylan's going to get? To the door. Cain said, all the way. And with false pride, Dylan said, amen. Okay. Because I know where I'm betting. He's making it to the door and he's like, get off me, Jack. Here's the truth. I don't care how strong you think you are. You were never meant to carry something bigger than you. And so if somebody says, well, David's got, no, he's not. Yeah, but you have to. All the promises in her, you carrying him. No, they're not. The promises are kept in me carrying God, not David. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every oppression. Every oppression and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. Your endurance is qualified by whether or not you put down the things that oppress you. You will not endure to the end if you are under oppression. You will not endure to the end if you're under sin. Both of those things were meant to destroy you and stop you. Watch this. Do you understand that oppression will cause you to speak differently? What do I mean by that? Because you talk more about the problem than you do the promise. You talk more about the struggle than the Savior. You, it is a distraction to your existence. Oh, 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 I'm never going to make it. I love when people tell me, Pastor, how are you? I say, how are you? Oh, I'm good. But the devil, the devil what? The devil's attacking. Why? Well, you know, I just woke up and I feel pain in my body. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why? Because when you rejoice, you get over your problems. Yep, I know it's a hard one to swallow, but truth be told, we complain way too much, and we make the devil our God more than we make God our God. He is a lion that goes to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whom he may devour. In other words, he's looking for the weakness in you. Let me help you with the weakness starts in your mouth. Out of the mouth of God formed everything. What do you think the Bible says about your mouth? Life and death are in the power of your tongue. When you speak things that are alternate to the world or alternate to the things of God, you become a part of the world. And the enemy goes, red flag, I see you. I'm coming. Because I come to seek, kill, and destroy. Not your life, not your physical body. I come to seek, kill, and destroy the vision and destiny in you. Because without a vision, you die. Did you know that the enemy has no right to take your life? Right. Oh, y'all, see, this is so stupid. I hear people tell me this all the time. The devil killed him. No, he didn't. Something that did not create life does not have the power to take life. I'm trying to help y'all. It's not even in my notes this morning, but I got to say this because I'm thinking we're giving the devil way too much props, way too much credit for this thing called life. We're saying the devil. No, the devil doesn't have that much authority. He only gets it if you give it. And if you stop giving it, he stops taking it. He said he goes looking for whom he may devour. Y'all remember that Mother May I game? You had to get permission to do it. 
If he says may, he's looking for permission. You know how he gets permission? By what you speak out of your mouth. If you run around going, I'm dying, guess what, baby? You're dying. This is killing me. All my back is killing me. Don't ever expect to be whole until you change what comes out of your mouth. Because the moment you speak, that enemy goes, watch this. Watch what I'm about to do. Watch what I'm about to make them feel. Watch what I'm about to go. I'm going to go crawl up in the bed next to them while they sleep and give them the worst night's sleep ever because they gave me permission to come and kill them, to come and hurt them, to come and destroy them. So when they wake up in the morning, they lose vision. They lose promise. Then they want to die. They, wanna, they start saying things that are contrary to the word. Show me in the word where God says, I've come to give you death. When we draw near to God in repentance, it changes everything that we are. It changes our vocabulary. It changes repentance, a desire to speak change to God and say, I'm willing to change, will change what comes out of your mouth. Here's the second piece. Almost done. The other part of draw near is to come to him and not everyone else. Why didn't you tell me? Because you don't have the answers. But I serve the one who does. I serve a God who's bigger than you. <laughs> Pastor, how come you didn't tell us you were going through this? Because I didn't need to tell you. I serve a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I serve a, cattle, I serve a God who's bigger than every situation that I might endure. I don't need to call you when I go through something. I'm calling on the Lord. The problem is we keep calling on everybody else. Can I just give you a sidebar here real quick? Why do you... <clears throat> this is going to get real untheological real quick. Real untheological. It's going, to, it's going to test every bit of what you've heard growing up. The Bible says that you have the, the authority, the anointing to lay hands upon yourself and recover. That's your word says, right? Why is it that we think when we go through a struggle, we got to get 52,000 people to pray the same prayer? And the Bible does say we're any two are gathered to bring upon one thing and shall be done. It says two. It doesn't say 50,000. It says two. Here's the problem. Well, if we get everybody praying, we're going to move the heart of God. When has your prayers ever moved God's plans? Did you know your prayer just aligns you with God's plans? <laughs> See, so many times we think that if we pray hard enough, God will change his mind. He said, I am God, and I change when. Why is it that we think we can bend God's plans? He's the creator. The Bible says he knew your days before you breathed your first breath. He had a plan. Well, but God, if I pray and I cry, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Maybe if you pray in your spiritual tongue or maybe you cry a little louder than the person standing next to you, God will hear you. Do you understand that even a whisper God hears? When I was in the hospital a couple weeks ago and I had that sharp pain in my chest and my chest went tight and my heart rate went up and I couldn't breathe right and all of a sudden I went, baby, that's every sign of a heart attack. I didn't go, oh, God. I just went like this. God, I'm not dying in this thing. You got too much for me to do. I'm not quitting now. Your promises are this. And I will live long for my wife. And I will live long in my children's life. And I will lead them in the things of you. I'm committed to whatever it is you have for me. That's the same prayer I prayed when I was walking out of a jail cell to the judge's chambers to be sentenced to possible 15 years for grand theft. And I told God, God, I know I thought I had the answers, but in you I got all the answers. So whatever you want from me right now, I give up. Obviously, you're trying to get my attention. I repent of my ignorance. I repent of my stupidity. God, I'm drawing near to you right now. Do whatever you want to do with me. You walk into a judge's chambers and they send you home. Why? Because I drew near to him before I drew near to my mama. 
Why didn't you call? Because I don't need to call you. It says call upon the Lord. So many times we want to call upon everything else. We need friends on social media to grieve with us. No, you don't. That's called a pity party. If you call me, Pastor, I'm going through it. You know the only thing I'm going to talk about is how you're going to get out of it. But if you want me to park my bus in your territory, it's never going to happen. I'm just going to drive right through it. Bye. I'll leave mud tracks. That's what I'll do. I'll leave, I'll leave tracks. But that's it because I'm not parking. I'm not even turning off the car. You can either get on and roll out with me or you can stay in it. But I've got to, I'm not pitching a tent in this mess. I don't have time for pity parties. I don't have time for sorrowful moments. Listen, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I said it three weeks ago. I'm fluffy, fearfully and wonderfully made. But I'm working on the fluffy. Amen. I'm 18 pounds down, baby. I'm working on the fluffy. Trust me. Woo! And my sweet tooth feels it. Amen. But the truth be told. Wait, I could really go for some Popeyes right now. Amen. Okay. I just had a thought. I had to get it out. I had to expose the devil that was talking to me. Okay. Okay. At the end of the day, I've got to draw near to him. I've got to come to him. Stop going to everybody else. Here's the problem. You think people can be your God. Well, you, you, you know, go get advice. Go seek advice. First of all, I'm going to go to the creator of advice. Then after that, I'll let him lead me to the right people. I need a marriage counseling. No, you need Jesus. My child is crazy. I need a counselor for my... No, you need Jesus. Go to him first and then go seek help. There's nothing wrong with seeking help, but seek the one who created help. Seek the one who goes by the definition and title of the helper. <laughs> Draw near to him. Relationship doesn't just require time. It also requires proximity. Well, the more time I spend with God, you know, we're near. No. I need to make sure he's in the car with me. I need to make sure he's in the house with me. I need to make sure that he's walking with me. As I walk down the street, here's what will happen. The, more, the closer he is to you, the less places you'll go without him. You'll stop making wrong decisions that put you in places that he never called you to be in. Let me, I'll say this to you, and I live my life this way. If God can't go with me, I'm not going. What do you mean, Pastor? I'm talking about even the movies. Oh, you're really going to go there. Hey, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. I'll go there. You go see a movie and you think, well, I'm, I'm strong enough. I can handle this. I mean, not everybody can handle it, but I can handle this. Is God still in the movie room with you while you're sitting there watching the foolishness? I'll never forget one time my wife and I went to a movie years ago. We sat down and, and we thought it was going to be a funny movie. Probably should have thought it through a little bit more, but we didn't. We went and sat in the movie. Some pictures came up. I looked at her and I went, let's go. She said, we're going to leave? I said, yeah. Walked right up to the box office and said, can I get a refund? They said, well, what happened? Is it was something wrong? I said, no, nothing's really wrong. I just paid for a movie that I'm not willing to watch. And I'll be more than happy to buy a ticket to a different movie, but I'm not watching that. Not a problem, sir, not a problem. Why? Because I'm not going to let something in that's going to come out. I'm going to keep God as close as I can to me, not push him away so I can have a moment to gratify flesh. You want, to, you want to be the flesh? Keep feeding the flesh. You want to be in the spirit? Crucify the flesh and let the spirit stay strong. I'm going to make sure I live my life accordingly. If my son is watching some of my kids are watching stuff that they shouldn't be watching, we don't go, well, that's just the world. No. If I hear that, it's coming off. Why? Because I don't need my kids running around dropping F-bombs as the pastor's kids. 
Work with me for a second. I got pastor friends that their kids are hellions. Oh, you know, it's just the world we live in. No, raise a child in the way they should go. And when they get older, they will help us. Please start raising our children. Okay, let me give you this one last scripture. You get anything out of this? Has this series helped a little bit? Now, if you go home and live under oppression, that's your choice. But I'm breaking it. Psalm 27, verse 4 through 5, it says this. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Psalms 27, verse 4 through 5. You ready for it? One thing. Just one. Just one. I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Verse 5. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Stop. That's a good scripture right there. You're like, man, that's a good word. None of that happens without you drawing near to God. In other words, you got to sell your home to live in his. You got to sell everything in order to receive everything that he is. You cannot mix your belongings into his existence. What you mean by that? I can't carry my junk into his tabernacle. Because in his tabernacle, my junk can't survive. So in other words, my flesh has to die so that the spirit can live. I have to be willing to crucify this guy so that I can live in him. Okay, I'm going to read this to you one more time. Pastor Ben, come on. One thing, one thing. Stop desiring everything else. Just desire one thing. And this is what I'll seek. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What, what does it say? All the days of my life. Does he say all the days of your eternity? He says all the days of what? Which says that it can happen now. That I may dwell in God's presence, the house of the Lord, all the days of... Could you imagine an existence that you never have to wake up wondering where you went to sleep and where you woke up? Just think about that for a second. How did I get here? Could you imagine waking up tomorrow morning in the presence of God rather than having to go look for the presence of God? This is the one thing that I desire. This is the one thing that I'll seek. Then I might dwell in the house of the Lord all of my life. That if I draw near to him, I will dwell in his house. And then in that space, I will behold his beauty. In other words, the pain and the struggle goes away. One of the things I started this last week was I started, I, I, I picked up a hobby. In, in 12 years of pastoring, I've never had a hobby. All I do is work. And through the process of all the things I've been going through, one of the things that my doctor and God said was, you need a hobby. And so I pulled out a pair of clubs after 11 years, a pair of golf clubs, and I just started going to the range and just hitting balls. And trust me, I'm just hitting balls. Don't ask me how straight they are. They're just getting hit. That's all they're just, we're just working on it. Amen. But here's the thing. I left the range the first day. And Tiff asked me, she said, baby, how was it? And I said, well, got a lot of work to do. Because I'm having to fix broken muscle memory. So we're going to be working on that. She said, no, how was it? I said, you know what? I didn't think about anything. In that moment, I was at rest. 
I stopped carrying the struggles. What was funny was as I'm sitting there, I'd hit a ball and slice it. This is crazy and this sounds really dumb. God speaks to me in weird ways. But I'd start getting messages out of my hits. God goes, you know why you sliced it? Because you weren't in the right position. You, you, your stance was off. Your body was twisted. You didn't stay focused. You got disconnected. Brian, do you understand that all of this changes when you rest in me? Stop trying to overextend. Stop trying to hit the ball as hard as you can. Just rest in the fluid motion of my existence. See, it's crazy. God will speak to you on the golf course. Still haven't gone and played golf yet because it'll be really ugly. But I'm finding an opportunity in God through rest, in dwelling, in drawing near to Him without the kids, without the world, without the struggles, without the church, just me. Saying, hey God, me and you, need some time. And in that process, I can see the beautiful things in life rather than the struggles. Here's what's happened out of this. For a young man who didn't have a lot of opportunities to build relationship with his dad, I started, I started buying clubs. Come on, you know, if you start doing something, you start investing in something, right? You're like, I'm just going to go there with some just whatever. I'm going to buy some nice new shorts. I'm going to buy a new shirt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the thing right. And so, I, I, and all of a sudden, my kids are with me, and Hope goes, Dad, I, I think I want to play golf. Cool. Then my son comes to me and says, Dad, I, I think I'd like to try too. So Dad goes and buys them their own little clubs. Golf for me was birthed out of a drawing near to him. And in the process, my kids are drawing near to me as their dad. And you know what's funny? It's like we sit out there and, and my kids are good, dude. I'm like, y'all going to take care of daddy. That's for real. And mama. And mama too. But, but they're out there and they're just... And they hit a battle and they laugh about it. They're not getting mad. They're just, this is cool. Where did that all come? Everything that I didn't have in my life as a kid, I now get to have in my life with my kids because I choose to draw near to Him first. And if I draw near to Him, then they see, that's Revelation when I'm talking about it, they see God in me and they say, Dad, can we come hang out with you? Why? Because there's something in you that we need. I got the greatest blessing last night. My daughter was at a friend's house. She had a sleepover last night with one of her friends from school. And she calls me, which, boy, I love when my little girl calls me. And she said, Daddy, what are you doing? <laughs> Working, doing stuff, getting ready for tomorrow. Okay. She showed me all the things they were doing. And she goes, hey, Dad, I'm going to call you before I go to bed. She goes, I want you to pray with me. So she calls me, and, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if these people she's hanging out with are like churchgoers, and I'm a pastor, and I, I go after it. And so I was like, 
you want to call me back and I'll pray with you? She goes, FaceTime right there. She says, no, you can pray for me right now. Sweet. Y'all know me. The whole room got prayer last night. And I just prayed over her. I said, Father, I just asked God to give her a sweet night's sleep. She goes, okay, Dad, I love you. It's going to be a great night. You know, when I was a kid, I used to be afraid to go to other people's houses. But not my little girl because she went in with God and she walks out with God. Because I'm teaching my children to draw near. My son, I got, I got so many. This is why I love stories because I've got so many of them. The other night, my son came to me. He said, Dad, I, I, said, I, I said, what? He goes, I don't know what's going on, but I'm, I'm afraid. And I'm like, son, what are you talking about? The boogeyman don't live in this house. He goes, no, Dad. It's like I'm laying down and I keep seeing these things. And, Dad, it's not good. Son, what have you been watching? Nothing, Dad. Son, what have you been watching? Dad, I promise you, I haven't been watching anything. But you understand that even what you're not watching, you still see. Because things come on that you're not paying attention to but play in. So I went into his room and I said, I got a plan. We prayed for him. My wife and I prayed for him. And then I walked into his room and I grabbed this new song called Nothing Else by Cody Carnes. This song will wreck you. I don't care who you are. This song, this song will put you on your face. And I walked in, I turned his phone on, and I played that one song, and I put it on repeat, and I stuck it up underneath his pillow. He slept within three minutes. He was asleep. The next morning, he gets up, and he goes, Dad, what was that song again? And I told him again. He pulled it up on his phone. I said, why? He goes, Dad, that, that song, something about that just brought peace into the bedroom last night, and I slept all night long, Dad. Yesterday, we're driving in the car. Asher's in the back seat. He's playing on my phone of how a three-year-old has mastered my cell phone. I still have not figured this out yet. But all of a sudden, I hear that song come on the phone. This is my three-year-old. He turned that song on, and he takes this phone, and he puts it right here. The kid who always wants to watch kids' YouTube and Disney Channel and Nickelodeon and Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, Paw, pa Paw Patrol. He's listening to this song. And I look back at him and I said, son, what are you doing? He goes, listen to this song. He's three. The whole thing played over again. He handed me the phone. He goes, dad, play it again. Handed the phone back. He listened to it again. I think we heard that song five times in the car before we got to where we were going. Why? There's something in you drawing near that causes others to draw near. If you want to lead people, make sure you're drawing to God, not drawing to everyone else. Make sure you're living in a life of repentance, not a life in expectation, but a life of repentance. Ex repentance creates greater expectation. Because when you start living like this, others will follow. Others will follow. Others will follow. Can I do one more thing? Just one. I'll get you out. Peter, come here for a second. I got to do it. He won't leave me alone. He won't let me do it. I love this guy. I was sitting in a church. Now you can see what I see every Sunday. See, this is weird. It's weird, isn't it? You have friends. You do have friends. Amen. I'm not going to tell the whole story. But one Sunday, God told me to tell Peter. This is what God told me to tell him. I bet you think church is weird, don't you? All this is weird. And Peter went, yep. <laughs> and I was like, cool, I'm on the right page. I heard from God this morning, amen. 
And I said, listen, I don't want to be your pastor. I want to be your family. I don't want you to do this life alone. And I know all this might take time to get used to. But understand this is not what you think it is. Because God has a plan for your life. And I'll ask him, I said, will you give it a chance? Do you understand that every Sunday you walk in this room, I leap on the inside. But why? Because the world might have said, nah, you'll never get Peter. But God kept telling me there was a supernatural plan for your life. And so I kept drawing near to him, hoping that you would see the real me, not the pastor. So every time he walks the door, my heart leaps because I get to watch this, this growth in him. It's not as weird as it was once. See what I'm saying? And that was just Easter Sunday. This is what I'm trying to say to you. Walk in obedience. Receive correction. Trust God. Draw near to him. And everything around you will change. I was not called to receive the trophy. I was called to help others see the value that they have in him and then live a great life ahead of them. Go sit down. I know you're weirded out. Everybody stand to your feet as we close this thing out.